Hello and welcome to the latest episode of NG Meets. This is episode 40 and this week we're speaking to Jasmine de Belan, who is an award-winning author. Uh, her debut novel, Asher and the Spirit Bird, won the 2019 Costa Children's Book Award. And we had to talk about that, the brilliant reception, the story behind how that book came to be. And we're also talking about her next book, Tamarand and the Star of Ishtar, which is due in September. And at the end of this episode, we've got an exclusive reading from that novel that you won't hear anywhere else. So be sure to stick around for that. We also talk about the impact uh, the coronavirus lockdown has had on Jasbinder and the kind of events she's been getting involved in, in terms of uh, virtual events and things like that. So another fascinating show. Hopefully you'll enjoy that. Tune into that. As ever, don't forget you can find all episodes at ngdigital.podbean.com. You can find us on Facebook at ngdigital and at Twitter at ngdigitaluk. So as ever, we'll be back at the end of the episode. But this is NG Meets Jasbinda Bilan. Welcome to NG Meets and thank you all for listening in. This week's guest is uh, author Jasmine de Bilan. Uh, first off, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Hi, hi, hi Darren. Lovely to be here. Not a problem. It's, uh, it's, it's great to, to get you on as a guest. Um, obviously it's, it's strange at the moment because obviously we're going to record everything uh, virtually. Uh, yeah yeah exactly it's been an interesting experience so how are you finding things at the moment I guess a lot of your work's done from home anyway yeah it's been um a strange kind of time in lots of ways um like you say I I tend to work from home anyway um so that is kind of has been the same um and kind of at the beginning of of uh, lockdown it felt a, a bit odd because obviously then the whole family were here as well. So we were share, we'd been kind of sharing space. Um, my sons have been doing school and stuff. So my husband's been working. So we've been sort of trying to kind of find space to do our own individual things, which has been fine, but, you know, kind of like a little bit of a challenge. And then of course, you know, it's been a very strange time of, of what's been going on kind of throughout the country and throughout the world. And just the fact that it's um, been a very sad time for lots of people, yeah. kind of like a sense of loss. And so I think it, I've just kind of felt a little bit, um, a, a bit sort of wrong footed by it, if you see what I mean, because it seems normal on the one hand when you're in at home kind of doing all of these things that are normal, but then when you think about it, it's just so, uh, such a different, different thing um, to what's ever happened. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of yeah, just, it's very strange. Yeah, it's, it's so unprecedented, isn't it, that it's, it's very difficult to get your head around. Like I say, you can kind of get caught up in just getting on with things. Um, you know, I, I've been working from home in my day job, which I did sort of flexibly anyway, but it's been obviously like for three months non-stop, which has been... Uh, weird and then they say you know adding in things like homeschooling and that um, and it's it's kind of it's almost being weird now like starting to see things open again is kind of strange everything everywhere you know, it just felt so eerily quiet almost like almost like horror movie style quiet sometimes <laughs> when you went outside so you know yeah um, exactly I mean it just felt really spooky and what I found really interesting as well is just the way nature took over so quickly and I think that was a real is a really hopeful thing because just the fact that there wasn't so much pollution from cars and um just hearing the birds much more and just being feeling much more part of nature and and Mm. what was going on so I think that 
has been a really nice thing. And I think that's something that lots of people have enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. It's like with with regards to like like you said, the birds and things, it's like often the middle of the day sounded like it used to or it used to sound at like six o'clock when you got if you got up then and you know in the summer before everyone was out and about and you could hear the early morning bird song and things like that it's like that's how it was all day at the mm, minute because yeah. as you say everywhere was just so quiet and uh you know i'm sure i'm sure it won't take as long to go back <laughs> um, yeah well it's starting to kind of un uh unlock kind of now and yeah. um you know, it would just be really lovely to be able to keep some of the good things about it. And it reminded me a lot of when I was growing up, you know, that whole sense of feeling that you could just had to make your own entertainment, a um, little, little bit sort of bored maybe at certain times, but just trying to think of things that you can do to uh, be creative, really. And, you know, I, I think lots of people have found that just um, having to find things to do. Um, and, you know, when I was growing up, we used to do lots of things like that, kind of make our own clothes, um, sing around the house, kind of <laughs> <laughs> do little little uh, shows for everybody. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's some of the things that have happened. Like, I mean, I've been really impressed um, personally with like the scores that, that my kids go to in particular. And how they've adapted to this, and and how how children in general seem to have adapted to such you know it's it's strange for for us, but children some of who are too young to really understand what's going on I think have adapted so well to to having this that came you know the the school shut down very quickly you know one day kids are in school and next it's like well you're not back next week sort of thing and. It's, that's yeah. been for what six months by the time they go back so mm, I, I mm. can't imagine that happening when I was at school it would have been no I know exactly I know it's uh, very very strange but yeah but it's uh well we don't we don't know what's going to happen next with it do we obviously there's there's a lot of unknowns ahead I think um with regards obviously with your work I'm not sure obviously I don't know what what you had planned in terms of events during this period because I guess it's it's perhaps not quite it's possible that things might be a bit more open by the time you're getting out of that in regards to the new book I mean I think maybe not obviously because we don't know but yeah it's a little bit unsure I mean um I sort of started off with uh, lockdown I had a lot of festivals that were cancelled lots of school visits that were cancelled library visits had quite a full um, calendar and uh, what sort of seemed to happen is that there were there were like a few kind of low weeks where obviously all of these things were cancelled but then I think people have very quickly worked out the um, virtual route through you know like yeah. we're sort of doing now and um, and I guess technology has really really helped in that sense and then um i did my first sort of virtual book festival quite early on um kind of in march it was and so and then from there you know things have just kind of speeded up so i've ended up doing a lot of virtual festivals and um doing library kind of visits and various videos i made a few kind of specifically for my um, own YouTube channel. But then um, I was asked to do um, various bits and pieces. So I've been really busy actually with that. And I think it's sort of quite a challenge having to uh, negotiate all of the um, technical stuff and yeah. working out uh, how it looks and things like that. Um, but it, you know, I know, and I think it's been also been quite refreshing because everybody's been doing very very normal videos rather than like you know kind of glossy singing dancing videos um so uh, you know if you i don't know if you watched uh, any of the hay festival and uh cresta cow was kind of showing around her uh reading her writing heart and just in a very lovely sort of way and um and i and i think it's been quite nice for in that in that way you know i think that uh readers and children have been able to get quite an intimate eye into authors lives yeah. and, um, and 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 you know people have just been kind of really happy to share in a very low-key way that 
a kind of like it just feels quite equal as well which has been nice yeah i guess there's that like you say there's that that aspect of getting to see into the writer's world a little bit which you wouldn't get at a festival when they're up on stage and obviously that balances with you, you i guess both from an audience and a writer's point of view you do lose a little bit of that um that feedback feeling that you get off a live environment but like but then you say but then you do get that little bit of delving into the writer's world so you say you know you get to see the, the place where where they write their stuff where they get their inspiration and um mm, and, and, and yeah. guess also i guess you get to see uh for a lot of writers that they're they're writing in you know in in normal places so maybe gives people <laughs> that it sounds weird but and i think whenever anyone has maybe you know that dream things you sometimes you you set a store really high up in your head of it being beyond you if, so mm. getting that feeling that we're all and I, I this to a degree i guess brings everyone together you know oh they you know they're just like us you know everyone's the same everyone's stuck inside everyone's yeah <laughs> yeah and it's sort of, i know obviously it can be dangerous to to look at it like everyone's in the same position because we know this has affected people very differently absolutely um, yeah in many yeah, ways yeah. but it in a sense there's also that same thing of um there is a, a little bit of a level of feel about it to a degree in yeah sense. i know i sort of one of my kind of things is when you know when um people have been on tv and they're in the spare yeah. room or um, everyone's going like, looking at the back aren't they sort of like oh what, what have they got and um yeah it's quite just, funny yeah that's just reminded me i can't remember who it was it was an actor um a couple of days ago was on something it, it might have been the one show or something like that and mm. he had i can't remember who he is now who it was now but he had like bits of a3 paper behind him and one he'd drawn like a bookshelf and wrote interesting books <laughs> and then the other side he'd put like um it just drawn like um, or written something like um strange artifacts or something like but it was quite amusing and apparently i didn't actually i only saw the clip on online but apparently like the the interviewers didn't even address it obviously it went <laughs> um it was it was like um, jason isaacs or something or someone like that but yeah i thought that was quite because that has been you know everyone's been you've been seeing people taking stills going oh look they've got this on their bookshelf or, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, i'm sure exactly. for some of them i'm sure have have spent ages before they've gone on thinking about what's going to be on screen or not um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure some haven't but, yeah yeah because um, i think sometimes you're not quite sure you know what you're showing mm. so um yeah i think some like a few sneaky things have kind of got in <laughs> in the background <laughs> yeah. but, but as you say it's, it's been i mean it's it's great that 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 kind of thing though the the whole you know zoom especially in, in terms of using zoom and that has made things like that happen like you say the fact that you can have virtual festivals is incredible and you know groups that have been able to do virtual support groups and all sorts of things that are going on that have been able to keep people engaged and in a loop because obviously a lot of people will be at times i'm sure all of us have, have felt like this is getting on top of us a bit so having things mm -hmm. like that to look forward to and enjoy and to take part in, I think is has been so important. Yeah, and definitely. It, yeah. And I think I think um, like I say, I, I, you know, I've sort of accessed things that I normally wouldn't have done. Just um, the, you know, there were some really lovely kind of like artsy things on that you could access um, for free. Um, National Theatre. Mm. um kind of ballet stuff and then all the hay festival stuff uh, and that you know that's been kind of quite quite nice and um quite interesting you know that's the fact that you can i think you know when when you're doing obviously kind of like a proper festival or a proper um school visit there's a lot of energy that goes into it that is perhaps um you know in traveling and uh, staying over somewhere and to be able to just Kind of do it you know without using so so many kind of resources you know just from a eco point of view um i mean you know like like we were saying you not that you'd kind of like always want to do it like this but i did a, a school visit for a, a school uh, last week's part of the wells festival and it was like as a kind of um 
not a Zoom, but, you know, another platform, but it was a live thing. And they really, really enjoyed it um, because it was almost um, more intimate than doing a school visit where, you know, I guess you've got lots of children and this seemed very, you know, they sort of, um, it seemed very kind of personalised to them. Um, and it, it, it was, it worked really, really well. Yeah, so I think I definitely feel like there's going to be a um, a new look at the way uh, way virtual media can be used for events and presentations and even work in in terms of um, a lot. Of, I think a lot of companies after this will be looking at um, the the situation with regards to people being able to work at home more flexibly and things like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, and even to the point, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how sort of academic institutions look at it in terms of being yeah. able to offer the, you know, offer study services to great to bigger markets and things. So there are, there's definitely going to be interesting things that come out of this. Obviously, it's a it's a pretty um, scary and terrifying time, and it's had a lot of you know, a lot of people have really suffered in it, but. It's uh, it's often those kind of times that lead to quite innovative uh, solutions and in, in, innovation happening, as we saw the things that came out, you know, after other periods of of tough times and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, it's a great kind of opportunity. I think human beings are very good at um, taking a problem, and when you're forced to um, react to it. Uh, you know to be quite creative and uh, I think like you say uh, there have been lots of interesting responses to it and one of, one of the great things I think is that apparently children have been reading much more which is great so um, you know with the libraries kind of doing all their ebooks and things and um, you know ch children have been able to access books and, and that sort of thing so uh, and book sales have gone up which is great yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's lovely to kind of know that reading is much, you know, really kind of back on the agenda for for kids that maybe, you know, where it's kind of gone down a little bit, where they've been on uh, devices and things. Yeah. So that's very kind of uh, hopeful, I think. Yeah. How about for yourself? Have you, um, um, how have you found, how did you find reading during this period? Because I know I, I found at first, I found with everything going on, I find it quite difficult to, to mm. switch off and just read. I think as I've more recently, I've I've got sort of back into a usual flow because I've always been quite a, a big reader anyway. But I definitely felt it was one of them at first. I think at the beginning, there's, there's so many things I thought I was going to do during this period. Mm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll learn a, a new skill. I'll learn a new language. I'll read loads of books. But obviously, you, you underestimate the impact it can have on you you know, and the complete readjusting. So I'm just wondering whether what whether you found that initially in terms of being able to sort, yeah, of, sort of take I that time it, out. It, yeah, it's been um, one of those um, things where concentration's been really strange, you know, because mm. I just think in the back of your mind, you've just got this kind of quite big thing. You're very conscious that there's this big thing that's going on. And, um, you know, sort of it's been um, really hard to concentrate. I found it quite hard. But then I, you know, like you, then I've sort of picked books up and it's, it's been quite, um, quite, quite uh, nice just to forget everything that's going on and to, you know, put yourself into this completely different world, the world of your story. Um, so uh, I, I have read quite a bit, actually. Yeah, so it's, I think I guess it's as, as, we've, as we've adapted to the situation. You kind of almost find a new normal, don't you, to it to a degree, I suppose. And but yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I think you know, sort of trying not to kind of focus on the bigger thing because I think that is could be just quite overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you say, just trying to kind of keep it, um, keep a little routine. Um, and I've been, yeah, I mean, I think kind of exercise has helped as well. And where I live, it's uh, quite a lot of countryside around here. So I think I've been quite lucky being able to go out, have mm. the dog and 
we've all sort of just been I've been running or you know the boys have been cycling and that sort of thing which is is just um has been great yeah we can't apart from maybe a little bit more recently we kind of I think looked out a little bit weather-wise didn't we I mean mm. I, I suppose oh, you could yeah. say suppose you could say it's typical that time when we have to spend most of our time indoors the weather was really nice but at the same mm-hmm. time when the only thing that you really were allowed to do was take a walk and the fact that the weather was all in just to be able to go out in your garden and things like that but, you know when you look back I think you know if the weather had been a bit different it would have been even more difficult oh absolutely so, I know I know it just came at just at the right time didn't it you kind of that's where you think actually you know there is something going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it felt like a holiday you <laughs> just like in the garden with the uh, with kind of drinks and things and uh yeah no it was uh it was really really nice wasn't it yeah so moving away from from this situation obviously this is something that's going to be ongoing for a while mm. I guess um I think when I first uh, contact you earlier in the year which was before all this happened it was just after um the announcement of you winning the the cost of children's uh, book award mm. um at which, at which point i probably didn't know all this was coming <laughs> um <laughs> so congratulations on that obviously and oh, and that you. from what i understand is and that was for your debut mm. uh, book is that correct um which was obviously Asher and the Spirit Bird. Yeah. Which I think, am I right in that, that came from um, another story? Was it Song of the Mountain? Or is that, was that just a yeah, previous name? Yeah, that's right. It? Yeah, it was, um, I wrote, I wrote um, Asher and the Spirit Bird. It was the, my dissertation part of my MA in creative writing at Bath Spa that I did. And it was, its original title was Song of the Mountain. And then I entered it for the Times Chicken House Prize in 2017, um, and won. And part of the uh, part of the winning winning of of the prize was to have the book published. And part of the kind of whole process was um, to kind of have the title changed. That happens sometimes. Um, so it was to give it a more of um, appeal to younger a younger audience and although at the beginning it felt kind of very weird you know to have the story have a different title it I think that actually it really works um because you know who the story's about Asha and it it just kind of picks out one of the strongest kind of elements of it which is the spirit bird and so I I you know in the end I did I did I did really like it I did really like Song of the Mountain as well but I think it was kind of more abstract and maybe more yeah. lyrical and then Asher and the Spirit Bird it just you know tells it as it is <laughs> yeah and I think it does it's um yeah there's definitely something about the title I think that it's almost a poetic title in a way that I think really appeals. And obviously, um, for those who have seen it, the, the actual book, it's everything about the, the start, you know, the artwork on the book as well and everything. It, it's got such a, a strong, eye-catching uh, style to it, which obviously, I guess, is, is really important because that's the thing that the title and the cover are the first thing that people uh, will see in, in what is, you know, we know the children's bookmark is massively competitive at the moment. Yeah, hugely so. so. Yeah, um, I mean, Chicken House are are great at um, doing book covers, and I was really lucky to have an, a Romanian artist called H to do the cover for Asha, and she's also done the cover for uh, book two as well. And she, it, it's it's stunning, really. You know, it is my book, but uh, yeah. Excellent. And it must have been, what was it like then? Obviously, your debut book and it came from, as you say, it came from being entered into into the Times uh, Book Award. But even though I imagine you were still um, somewhat taken back by just how um, wonderfully it was received. Because I'm sure, you know, that's everyone else. Well, I don't think many people expect that. With you first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, it came out last year in 2019, and because 
like you say, it had won the Times Chicken House Prize. Um, it, it was kind that though it came out to lots of attention and um, you know people kind of like were waiting for it so that was a, a lovely way to launch your debut and then um, the kind of interest just sort of built as the year went on and then to have the Costa um, and for me you know it was almost it's kind of like you know the, the sort of spiral went up really kind of um, from launch to um, winning the Costa and that was kind of in December of 2019 so just when you know just when I kind of like thought oh because obviously around the debut and the launch of the book there was a lot of publicity to do um lots of school visits lots of touring festivals and you know and then you kind of like you expect it to kind of like dip down a little bit and then just when that might have happened then it was um on the shortlist for the Costa Book Awards so yeah that was that was amazing it was such a, a wonderful kind of experience and to have that for your debut uh, you know I felt really kind of honoured um, and I think it's it's um, when you're writing and especially with your debut you know first of all you don't know it's such a long journey you know you don't know if your book's going to be published and then it's published and then you think well you know it, are people going to read it are people going to like it so there's always lots and lots of kind of question marks so it was just a huge thing to kind of have this recognition and it's uh, to do with confidence you know the kind of confidence that the literary world kind of has in in your story and in and, and in you as a writer so um yeah it was it was amazing and I can, and I'd say that you know the children's the quality of children's books out there at the minute as well um, is incredible. Yeah, we you know the and the versatility. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously we all know there's fantastic children's authors that were around when we were kids. But it certainly feels like um, there's there's such a huge market for it at the minute. So you you know to 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 win a prize within that is is really incredible. Mm. Uh, um, and I think in kids, you know, it, it's they're obviously an entirely different market. So, what do you think it is that's key to attracting, you know, to, to attracting them to a book? Obviously, it's a different market to to the adult world, and I guess kids will decide quite quickly whether they're enjoying a book or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like say, children are quite a different audience. And I think they're a harder audience to please in a way, because, um, you know, I always kind of feel, well, on your first page, you have to hook your reader in. And so it's really, really important that your first page has something really exciting happen in it. And, and they've got to want to turn the page, you know, that you have to make them turn the page. Um, and I was kind of particularly keen, you know, my sort of like chapter endings, I wanted to kind of leave them on a cliffhanger. So they really wanted to find out what happens. Um, so, you, you, you know, that they, they are a kind of a tough audience to write for, but I think they're also like a wonderful audience as well because they uh, once you've got them hooked you know they will kind of like stay with you and um, kind of root for your hero you yeah. know root for your main character um, and 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 they you know you're kind of writing for an age group where um, emotions are really strong emotions are really high um, they they will like believe in your magic because I write magical realist, um, you know, sort of stories that are set in the real world, but just with this kind of um, hook of something um, amazing, you know, something magical, which I think it's a, a great thing to kind of give children um, in their own lives. You know, they can sort of um, magic equals hope in a way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they can go and uh, sort of, Put their feet in in somebody else's shoes and find out what it's like they can go to a different country like in in asha you know they can go to the himalaya and they can experience what it's like to to be that character yeah i guess you know, another thing obviously as well is they're at the age where like the world still is really magical to them in in a sense that maybe it's not so much when you get uh, you get you get older so everything you know the whole you know the world's still this huge magical uh, place where you know grown-ups are still heroes and and things like that which means that i think they're more you know they, i guess 
they're probably more open to exciting ideas in a, in a way yeah exactly and i think and i think you know i think that we can all remember that time and so when i write i kind of think about myself age 11 and i write for that that girl that i was mm. um and i believed in magic um children believe in magic they believe in hope they believe in bravery and um and like i say kind of it's a time of strong emotions so um it, it, yeah it's sort of a, a a great kind of audience to write for excellent and you talked about um about you know visiting schools and uh, and, and going around and, and meeting pupils and things and i imagine that's that's an incredible uh, feeling when you you you're seeing children engaged in your characters and in your books and yeah uh, yeah and, and you mentioned earlier at a time when um you know it's probably you know books are up against more media now than ever before so you know a, a story's got to compete not only with radio television outdoors but it's got to compete with you know sort of computer games that are, are getting ever more narrative and um and just you know masses of multimedia device electronic devices so when you see those children engaging in that story that must be an incredible incredible feeling yeah it is it's it's very special you know to kind of write a book and then to go out and meet children that have read it and have loved it and have really taken that your characters kind of like to their hearts um yeah it's just it's just one of the best things and um one of one of my favorite things actually to kind of go and visit uh, schools and and children because i think it's really important to inspire them um what you know when i was growing up in nottingham i went to a great primary school and um you know we had a lot of creativity and uh it i'm also kind of patron of reading to a school in nottingham and it's just wonderful you know they to kind of show that someone like me can win the costa and uh you know to inspire them to maybe kind of follow their dreams it might not necessarily be that they be that they want to write a book but i think i i hope you know that i can kind of show as well as sharing my story it's about um sharing kind of dreams that i had when i was their age and um and making them believe in themselves you know whatever it is and i often when i go to a school you know i'll often ask them you know, they love what they like to do and then I, I like to kind of say well you know yes you know so you like gym you know you're going to be an Olympic gold medal winner you know just kind of give them something amazing to kind of aim for and to make them believe that it can be them and and you know that they can do it as well yeah and I think that's so important and you know and at the moment as well I think it's, it's really important to to remind kids of the exciting and you know possibilities ahead because it's, it's you know it's, it's a tough time for them as well as everyone else um, yeah yeah exactly and, that, and i think that's why reading is even more important than ever because it's a real special kind of relationship between uh, you know yourself and the book like you know you, you like say you're kind of like a, an avid reader and it's quite different I know you know lots of children maybe don't necessarily have the literacy skills that they need to read um, you know bigger books but um, you know once they can it's that whole kind of whole experience and it's them they're reading and they're interpreting the story themselves you know how you get that voice in your head um, and it's a really kind of special thing to do oh yeah and I'll tell you um, you know stories in, in general are probably you know uh, you know perhaps the thing that is is most human of of all the thing that, that makes mm. us most human is all it's our entire history and everything we know of history more or less is is based on stories you know we know that you know right back they were telling stories with you know hieroglyphics on cave walls and paintings yeah. on cave walls story yeah. you know pre yeah. pre paper or print press or anything stories stories yeah. of what people did when they got together what communities did yeah um, exactly and it's just that sort of um like you say kind of gathering around the fire you know you're sitting around um sharing stories and telling stories and we have a real template for story 
I believe, you know, so we kind of, we know how it goes, you know, <laughs> we kind of, <laughs> the scary bits, the sort of, uh, yeah. Um, so, and, and like you say, it's sort of, a, it, it teaches us empathy and it, it's, it teaches about, teaches us about being human, what it means to be human. Um, the kind of excitement, the fear, the loss, um, all of these things. And, um, you know, I mean, in Asha, uh, quite a lot of dark things happen in Asha. Um, and I think it's important to take children to those dark places. It helps them to be, to develop their own resilience and to become braver themselves. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of really important to, to have those moments and um, show readers you know that um these experiences exist these these people e exist and um you know and you kind of come out of it a stronger person yeah and i think that i mean i think back to to growing up and you know the books i read and most of them you know i, I grew up reading Roald Dahl and you know most of them were, you know, were based around pretty dark yeah, the, the main character usually you know it was, it was a child but they always went through really dark you know situations before before they got to the end of the book i think that's like you say it's important because it's so that so emotive but also kids like that don't they you know hmm. kids like twisted stories and kids like a bit of darkness in a story and then like to see the hero that they you know you know they've usually if you know if it's well written and they're enjoying it they've attached themselves to that they come out of that at the other end and because it, it gives you that hope that no matter what you're up against like when you're going through something like this ultimately yeah. if you keep going you'll come out the other end of it better yeah better absolutely. off and a better person yeah yeah it kind of gives them yeah. a kind of a map you know a way to to kind of live um so yeah, definitely, definitely, really important. Yeah, because I think you know we all know you know, like any time growing up can be a pretty you know, growing up going through childhood. There's many ups and downs to it, and many kids go through a pretty bleak times. So having that hope, uh, you know, reading those stories that give you that hope, I think can't be underestimated. How, how helpful and how important that can be for many yeah, kids. Exactly. Yeah, sharing the experience um, makes you feel better yeah um, before we move on to talking about your upcoming book uh, i wanted to ask you about um something that i've noticed you're involved in which is something called an um, authors for oceans oh yeah um so i mean i guess it's kind of kind of explains what it is in the title i'm just wondering um what the sort of the aims of that are and how it is that sort of you became involved and what was it that drew it drew you to that organization um, it was uh, Lauren, Lauren St. John started Authors for Oceans with M.G. Leonard and it's a, a way to um, get authors kind of together and uh, not necessarily can campaign but just sort of show, um, you know, show your kind of banner, show your support for saving the, the planet and um, saving the oceans. So uh, I, last year I did a, a panel with Lauren St. John, Nicola Davies and Yuval Zoma um, about saving the planet and, and um, kind of stories that save the planet. So um, it's just a kind of a, a collective and it it's really, um, I think so many children are passionate about saving the planet. And it's kind of like a way, a collective kind of way to give them, to give voice to that, um, you know, to that sort of idea that we can, we can all do something small to save this precious, precious thing that we have. And I think, you know, especially through kind of lockdown, um, a lot of these things have happened because of uh, global warming and the fact that habitats are being destroyed, um, the fact that humans and wild animals are coming into more contact than mm -hmm. they really should, um, and all the kind of the viral, um, 
the viral sort of um, things that animals carry and that kind of crossover between humans and, and animals. So it's a, it's kind of like a way to give voice to children really and to show them that they can come on board that, you know, we've, we've run competitions and things and they can go on the website and they can see all their favorite authors are really um, rooting for the planet and, and the things that they can kind of get involved in and, and what they can do as well. Yeah, and I think it's so important, isn't it, that with ev- obviously with everything going on and, you know, this has all dominated life for everybody and dominated the news cycles and things like that, but it's, it is still important to remember that, you know, the climate change crisis isn't going away be- because of this. It isn't, it isn't going to say, well, I'll, I'll give you a break. Um, and we saw, like you talked about children, and I think we all, I'm sure we all, most of us were, so inspired by things like the school strikes and things that were happening prior yeah. to to all this and yeah um, you know and group organized things that organizations like extinction rebellion were involved in um but on you know it's so important that we don't forget that that's something that's still a huge issue when you know and understandably people at the moment are obviously focusing on on what's happening now and I'm not very worried about what impact it's going to have on them personally ahead in terms of you know the, the economic um hit that we're going to take over everything that's happened but the, you know the, the climate situation's still a crisis and still happening and still needs to be tackled fast if, yeah, if you know yeah. if, if we haven't already um left it too late which hopefully we haven't yeah, well, I think I think you know the sort of really hopeful thing um, that I think everybody's noticed is the fact that um, the planet can heal itself in this short time. You know, the the sort of um, the levels of uh, kind of gases. Uh, was so much lower I think they kind of you know I don't know the stats but I think they kind of monitored it and just the fact that in maybe like a month globally you know of, of not having all the emissions has really really helped um, and you know it's been kind of a short time so I think that's kind of really hopeful and um, a kind of a great thing and and I think just being in nature I think it's so um, so wonderful and so nurturing and you know you just have to and and there's so many kind of little bits of nature even though you might live in a city because I I, you know I was born close to the Himalaya in um, India but um, I moved to the UK when I was a year and a half and then then kind of lived in the city so you know I kind of went from quite a rural um, upbringing I was only baby you know so not (laughs) not not kind of like too much um you know to kind of being in the city and and I think it must have been kind of like a a bit of a shock for me but um even within the city you know there's always nature always always there you know if you're kind of uh, you just need to sort of look out for it and little patches of grass you know flowers will sort of like push their way through um cracks in the pavement um you can have like a, a little window box you can just put um, you know, in my garden at the moment, I've just got a um, just a sort of uh, a bowl with water in, and just watch the birds. You know, and they'll yeah. just like come. And it, it's 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 so such a kind of great thing. And I think it's the sort of thing that everybody can do. Just do one small thing, plant something, and I, and and that was the other great thing because um, people were just taking like seeds from a tomato that they'd eaten and planting them. Yeah. Or um, I got a tip from somebody that's just taking. Uh, sunflowers from bird seed that they've got and I did that you know just like pick them out and it's just so easy you know nature wants to grow and um, and I think children um, kind of get so much from it and uh, so yeah so I really kind of hope that we'll be able to take those things forward. Yeah it feels like this you know this could be an opportunity uh, to move move forward in that way Um, you know I, I think if we don't if we don't come out of this in in that way, then I think that I, I don't I don't see when it where it's going to happen. Um, you know, with yeah, such a such yeah. a situation like this, and as you say, many people have have realised the joys of nature, and we've seen, like you said, I think there were talks at some point about CO two emission at at the height of the lockdown, sort of dropping by about a quarter. 
and mm-hmm. oh, and obviously we can't, you know, this isn't the right way to do it, but we are seeing that with changes, we can improve things. Um, I just hope that that's what we come out of this with, because I, I don't see, if we don't do it now, I don't see when, when it's going to happen. Mm, yeah, um, let's hope, fingers yeah. crossed. So moving on, obviously your uh, your next book, uh, which is it, is it um, Tamarind and the Star of Ishtar, if I pronounce that correctly. Yeah, yeah which I, I guess keeps that sort of the same flow of name as uh, as the previous book in that style, but, and yeah. that's that's due in September. So, yeah, and I'm I'm assuming that's not been that's the release of that's not affected by situation at the moment. No, it was all well. It was um, always going to be September. At one point, it was going to be August, but uh, we just pushed it slightly, kind of to September. And um, we talked earlier about obviously the, the the way you had to change in terms of you did in festivals and things like that. And have you been looking at at sort of options in in terms of you know of, of getting out and the sort of book tour type thing? Because um, September, you know, we don't at the moment we don't know what the situation is going to be. Mm. Uh, things have started to unlock, but in terms of gatherings and that, we still it's, we don't really know where that's going to be. So I'm sure. Are you looking at you know the ideas around the possibility of doing virtual book events and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're just sort of um, playing it by ear at the moment. I'm hoping that we'll be able to do some physical stuff, but. Yeah. If not, you know, we'll we'll do probably kind of um, a, a, perhaps kind of a few local physical things might be possible, and then um, virtual things as well. Um, so I'm I'm going to record some um, events for Cheltenham. I'm doing yeah. Cheltenham Festival and then Bath uh, Festival. So that and I, I guess the the nice thing with that is that because they are will be virtual. Now, normally, sort of Cheltenham would be at the end of September, beginning of October. Um, it's kind of quite a way away, but uh, they've decided, you know, the, the, the actual physical festival has been cancelled so that then they can plan for the virtual. Yeah. Um, and more people than ever will be able to access those because of the virtual nature of it. So, you know, there is a kind of upside. Obviously, it is um, great to kind of physically be there and physically engage with the audience and that sort of thing but um i think you know the fact that it's virtual does mean that it can have a wider reach yes yeah and uh, and obviously that kind of coincides around you know when we're looking at schools uh, being back um because they you know at this moment in time i know from the the, the details we've got from, the, from our schools and things that the plan is that they go back in September, obviously, there's going to be some significant changes in terms of bubbles and uh, you know how children move about in schools and things like that. But it does seem that every, you know the idea is to fully start up the school system in September. Yeah. I, I, you know, I guess perhaps there's an opportunity there in terms of you know maybe some kind of virtual events. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. It's going to obviously. It's going to be. I imagine it's. It's not going to be a case of just getting back at it for schools. They've got. They're going to have to address uh, this this time period where you know, no matter how much they've managed to do, children are not going to be at the same level as if they've been in school for the last five six months. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, definitely, so, yeah. definitely. I mean, yeah, it's going to be. I think it's. It's probably just going to. Um, just going to have to play by ear, I yeah. guess. Um, you know, so although the schools will be in, in their kind of big classes, um, I think, you know, the events are still going to be virtual, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know you say, I know that there's things like, you know, they're going to be, you know, lunch times are going to be staggered amongst years mm. so, and things like that, because and I know from senior schools, uh, you know, there's not, they're going to be moving, it's going to be the teachers moving class to class or rather than the students moving around a different department because obviously mm. you can't have two three hundred students uh rolling down corridors at the moment yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure 
So, um, in terms of the new book, then, is what, what sort of what can you tell us about the the story uh, for the new book and the inspiration behind it? Um, yeah. So, Tamarind and the Star of Ishtar is about um, a girl, eleven-year-old Tamarind, who travels from Bristol to her grand family home in, in the Himalaya for the first time. And when she's there, she discovers a magical garden. Um, a mysterious mountain girl and her monkey and she begins to uncover the family secrets surrounding her mum's death when she was a baby. Um, so it's um, taking the theme again of magical realism and so back in the Himalaya but quite a different story um, and the inspiration for this story was really my mum because she grew up in India and her mum died when she was a toddler, you know, sort of in childbirth. And so I think kind of all her life, she really missed her mum. And so I wanted to explore this idea of, um, you know, what, what does that kind of like, what does home mean about belonging and identity? And so um, Tamarind goes to this, um, her grandfamily home and she didn't know it was such a sort of an amazing place um, and um, you know she's kind of confused and so it's it's just about her kind of uncovering the family mysteries and, and really kind of discovering who she is. Yeah excellent brilliant idea so um, obviously you know you don't want to give too much away about the story but yeah. it, um, again it's like you say it's that sort of uh, story about learning and growing and, and and new experiences and I get and I think um again it's it's something that 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 play you know plays perfectly to a lot of what children are going through you know and um even you know it doesn't have to be about traveling in personally about traveling a long way but even still you know even it, it can be the small journey like starting back at school starting at senior school moving home things like that but it all plays into that yeah exactly. um, that, um, you know the emotion and yeah uh, yeah and um you know in this story tamarind is going through a lot of changes so you know she's at that age where she's going from uh primary to secondary so that kind of change uh, there's a real kind of universality like you say you know there's the sort of the lovely thing of it's like a window into um another world another culture and another place um but um it's also kind of discovering it this time it's kind of discovering that from uh tamarind's point of view because she's grown up in bristol and um and it's the first time you know so it's a kind of um she's kind of going into her family culture and so she's kind of finding out about her family culture and uh, she's also finding out about her roots so things yeah. that she hasn't been told and, and kind of finding out about them for the first time um so it's kind of interesting from that point of view and i guess it's a little bit um like i've drawn on my own experiences of of growing up with feet in two cultures and kind of you know and what that means as well yeah and I, and also i guess that, she, that age as well is that sort of you're still a child but you're right on the cusp of the next stage of sort of adolescence like as you say going into to senior school when you start to to grow up and and everything becomes a little bit more um grown up and 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 closer towards being an adult yeah um, exactly, it's, it's, exactly. It's sort of, it really is a sort of that step from primary to senior school is, is such a huge sort of um, such a huge step and change that it's, it's almost like the last um last step of being I guess a kid as opposed to a you know an adolescent almost um so um I don't want to obviously I don't want to take up too much mm -hmm. uh, more of time it's been great to chat to you but yeah, I know yeah. um, I also wanted to ask because I know yeah, I think I believe you you're now uh, living down in Bath. That's correct. Mm. So I'm just wondering what are the the things you miss most about Nottingham? Um well I do I do sort of keep uh, my connections up there. My mum's uh, still still lives in Nottingham, my brother's in Nottingham, so I do kind of come back. 
Um, I think I think it's sort of um, what do I miss? I sort of I, I miss my family, I suppose, and just that um, familiarity. I mean, I moved away when I was eighteen, so I haven't lived full time in Nottingham for a long time. Um, but I think you know you never you never kind of lose that sense of belonging, and and I think you always kind of like see it, it through kind of rose tinted spectacles and. <laughs> Like, you know, we used to, uh, when I was growing up, we used to um, kind of go go around um, like the area where we lived, uh, kind of go out and have adventures. So, mm. um, you know, it all like holds very fond memories for me. And we'd go to Wollaston Park, we'd yeah. do long walks with our dog, um, Sabre, and um, just sort of just other things really and we used to love going into the museum and um i don't know if you've been in recently but there's the sort of um the flat-faced orangutan and we used to you know they're like that's a real like kid thing you know you'd have to like go and see him yeah <laughs> so that you know yeah it's just it's just uh you know the place i grew up and it's home really yeah and that's i know when i read um on your website you were talking about uh, you know wallerton park and um so I've, I grew up and have always lived on that side of, of Nottingham. So Woolen Park's like one of my favourite uh, places. It's, it's incredible. And like you say, the museum's great. And I looked a couple mm. of years ago when they had, they had the, the Dinosaurs of China exhibition on there, which was stunning. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those places I feel um, we're so lucky to have, you know, right in us, in, that's so easily accessible in, in the midst of such a built-up area. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I know you're going to do a short reading for us in a moment uh, from uh, Tamarind and the Star Vista. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted to say for people that want to uh, to follow sort of the progress with your work and, and the latest news and, and etc. What what are the best places to uh, find you online? Um, well, I'm on Twitter, so um, I kind of tweet quite a bit, and I'm also on Instagram, um, put things up on there. Um, I also have a blog on my website, so I kind of put new things, things that are happening on the blog. Um, and, you know, if people want to write to me, they can. There's kind of details on my website as to, you know, how they can do that, kind of if they want to write a physical letter, send it through my publishers, they'll kind of get it to me. Or they can um, kind of just send me an email direct as well. So yeah, I, I love to kind of hear hear from my readers, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that, that'd be great. Excellent. And obviously that also will have all the details people need if they want to you know pre-order and find out more about the upcoming book then um, obviously purchase a copy of uh, asher and the spirit bird if they haven't already um, yeah definitely <laughs> brilliant so if you want to uh, to sort of uh, take us ahead with if the reading and, and that yeah okay so this is um a, an extract from tamarind and the star vista and it's about um well from around chapter eight so it's not right from the very very beginning um it's a um it's the section in the book where tamarind meets as a like i say there's a magical monkey in the story and it's the very first time she meets hanu who is the monkey that belongs to the mysterious mountain girl. And um, just to set the context a bit, so Tamarind's arrived at her kind of grand family home and it's not what she expected. And the, the food is not kind of quite what she's used to. Um, and then just as she's starting to feel a little bit at home, um, her cousin Sophia arrives and so her cousin Sophia has been away at boarding school. And she comes into the house and she's not very nice to Tamarind um, and Tamarind doesn't know why. And she um, is really upset at this point. So um, Sophia has upset her because she hasn't made her welcome. And so um, Tamarind's run off into the garden. So 
um, the house is kind of perched up on a hill and it's surrounded by the Himalayan mountains. It's quite remote and the gardens just immediately around the house are very kind of manicured and, and beautiful. But then there's areas around the edges of the gardens that are wild. And there's a part of the garden where there's a hut and it's uh, out of bounds. So they're not meant to go there. But Tamarind sort of is upset. She runs off into the garden and she finds this hut. And this is the bit that I'm going to read to you. My heart pounds frantically as the door creaks a bit more and weird spooky shapes project across the light filtering through the blanket. The door flings open and footsteps pad closer. The bed dips down beside me. Whatever it is, it's right here next to me now. My heart is racing and then, weirdly, it's pulling the blanket from over my head. I blink. It's a monkey! It's only a monkey. That's what's been screaming in the garden all this time. Relief floods me and I examine the creature more closely. He's covered in honey-coloured fur, parts of it turning grey. He reaches out and strokes my hair and I'm not sure what to do. So I sit there stiffly. He takes my face in his smooth palms and gives me a sorrowful look with his huge dark eyes. He hobbles off the bed and disappears under it. I've never been this close to a monkey. I've only ever seen them behind plastic screens at the zoo and I'm feeling a bit nervous. But after everything that's happened, I wouldn't mind making friends with him. I lie flat on the floor, press myself into the smooth floorboards and try to entice him out. Two bright eyes blink at me in the darkness. I push my arm under the bed. Here, little fella, I say, pretending I've got something tasty in my hand. Come on, I won't bite. It'd be so nice to stroke his soft fur. He stays under the bed and won't come out, so I wriggle under as well. Come on, you silly monkey. He's right up against the wall, so I push on my elbows, moving closer to him. Even though it's dark down here, I can see that the monkey is pulling on a loose floorboard. He wedges his fingers under a section and yanks at it. Then he scuttles to one side, tugging at my sleeve. I strain my eyes, peering into the gap where the piece of floorboard has been removed. But it's no good. It's just too dark. I shuffle backwards, brushing the floor with my stomach. If I can get the candle off the holder, I'll be able to shine the light down there and see what it is. The monkey climbs onto the bed and watches me as I wiggle the candle free, clapping his hands. Back on my stomach, I push the candle ahead of me until it's just on the edge of the gap and shift the floorboard to get a better look. The monkey crouches beside me, peering underneath too. I can make out a box inside the space under the floor and dip my hand in. I'm just about to lift it out when I hear footsteps outside and I quickly drop it back into the gap. I squeeze out from under the bed and can't see the monkey anywhere. I dart my eyes towards the open door and spot the very end of a long honey-coloured tail and what, looks, and what looks like a trail of sparkling gold dust following it. Thank you there to Jasmine Delavellan for speaking to us and for that exclusive reading from her upcoming novel Tamarind and the Star Vista, which is out in September. Uh, it'll be available at all the usual places and you can find out more about it at her website jasbindabilan.co.uk. If you haven't read Asher and the Spirit Bird yet, uh, do grab a copy that is well worth checking out, highly recommended. Um, if you enjoyed that episode and want to check out some of our previous uh, episodes with authors and writers then there's a few i've picked out for you um 
Earlier this year, we spoke to poet and writer Panya Banjoku. That was episode 26. Uh, prior to that, we spoke to uh, author uh, Nicola Monaghan, who you, I'm sure you've all heard of, great author. Uh, sci-fi fantasy author Mike Brooks was episode 22. And then earlier last year, we spoke to horror thriller writer CJ Tudor, who has had her work praised by uh, none other than the wonderful Stephen King. So some fantastic episodes to check out there. Um, keep an eye out on social media for announcements of our upcoming guests. We've got recordings lined up this week, so we'll be announcing who our next guests are soon. So you can, as ever, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash ngdigital or Twitter at ngdigitaluk. And as ever, you can find all our episodes at ngdigital.podbean.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to spread the word on the show. Uh, we're putting together plans for episode 15. We'd love to hear people's thoughts and feedback on that. And we always want to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Share the show. Spread the word. Give us a review. And, you know, that's how we keep this growing. Thank you very much for listening. Then This is NG Meets and we'll be back next week.